0: Welcome to Japan Fire 16, Mamoru Oshii, Ghost in the Shell. Yes, this is our continued coverage of Director Oshii. And are there maybe three or four feature animes that usually are discussed and quoted in terms of what to watch, uh, what the classics are, etc. And if there are, then definitely Mamoru Oshii's 1995 adaptation of the manga by Masamune Shiro usually comes up in the discussion and uh, this episode we give it uh give it the uh, all the discussion re- review uh within our Oshi coverage and uh, ju- i just hope personally that uh, any signs of red uh is uh, kept uh, way, out of, uh, way out of the way out of the movie and discussion because you know my art radar goes off right coffin john v cinemas coffin john <laughs>
1: that is correct dear sir
0: <laughs> you made an observation that uh, I, i've been so self-conscious about ever since you mentioned it like <laughs> i can't say red i can't say red john will tease me <laughs> <laughs> um that that that's an in joke uh, go back to a prior episode when we did discuss a stray dog i believe but uh, anyway my name is kennedy and uh, again v cinemas coffee john is back so welcome back
1: well good to be back ken thanks for having me on once um... again
0: it's been a while, but uh, we uh, we all have busy lives, and uh, I produce different podcasts. And um, but the topic remains uh, kind of valid, and uh, not um, we we didn't miss our window. So sure. to say, window trending and what have you. So, uh, but you know, what? let's track back a little bit to our prior episode. At the end of that episode, I covered the live action movie Stray Dog and the Gene Rowe. An anime, Jinro the Wolf Brigade, that Oshi wrote. We were kind of threatening to elongate the Kerberos saga coverage, which is this uh, oshi invented alternate uh, universe-slash-timeline that has appeared in films and manga form and various other media. Uh, uh, We were threatening to elongate it by including the movie Tachigui, The Amazing Lives of the Fast Food Grifters from 2006. Uh... But uh, as it turns out, I, I couldn't find its subtitle, and I don't know if you ever pursued it to a point where you watched that movie, John.
1: Um, actually, I, I did uh, find copies of the film uh, through a friend of mine, um, and I found actually all, th- I believe there are three uh, films in that Tachikui series. Uh, okay. There's that one you mentioned, there's one called like Onna tachigui which is basically means like female whatever uh, fast food grifters there's one called Shin-ona tachigui which is like the new female <laughs> fast food grifters and really um I, I got copies of them from a friend of mine who uh lives out in japan who's you know a very big uh, big into shi um and uh but i haven't been able to watch them uh, mainly cuz i haven't really been in i guess you could say the mood because they're not subtitled for one thing so mm-hmm. you know me having to sit through a, a movie and completely in japanese which i don't have a generally don't have a problem with but uh but also something that is not um not uh live action so it's, you know in other words it's animated it's sort of you know i have to be in that mood to really get into it and i haven't yet but uh hopefully sometime in the future you know we can uh we can talk about that at least a little bit on a yeah. future episode of this series.
0: It, it, it is animated by uses like uh, live, maybe live action characters in stills form and then the heads are crudely mm-hmm. animated like a right. Terry Gilliam cartoon almost. That's what the trailer kind of... So uh, the wacky trailer, like it sold it as a pretty out there time and almost experimental in uh, in tone and definitely not moody or or saying like, here's the new Kerberos saga part that you have to see it's like it doesn't signal right. that it's part of that but uh, it, it it references back to this um these uh fast food stores where you stand and eat which were included uh, within the care bearer saga in a in a pronounced way
1: right yeah
0: uh, but, uh, yep, yeah, we'll, uh, it's fun that they're out there, but, uh, maybe we'll, uh, maybe we'll do the trilogy of Tachiguri sometime. Uh, but, uh, this episode is Ghost in the Shell, and first of all, some brief contact information. This is, you are listening to Japan on Fire on the Podcast on Fire Network. Website for this and all the other shows plus bonus episodes on Podcast on Email for feedback, Podcast on Fire at Google We are active on Facebook. Click and like our page facebook.com forward slash pof network on that page there is a link to our discussion group or you can if you want to join that or reach it you can also type in podcast on fire network in the facebook search box and that'll get you the group and follow us on twitter twitter twitter.com forward slash podcast on fire I do my reviews over at sogoodreviews.com and lisa which is uh, not uh, Japan-related uh, most of the time anyway. Maybe a co-production here and there, but uh, c- certainly not Oshi in in this case. But may, uh, maybe some in, in some review I've gotten a mentioning of Oshi just to be just to be uh, cool and play with the cool kids <laughs> within a smutty category free movie maybe i felt like this is a place where i can mention oh yeah. she <laughs> charlie cho had sex and that connects to ghost in the <laughs> no 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 and um, anyway and i'm also on twitter twitter.com forward slash so good reviews you can subscribe to japan of fire on itunes and if you like the show, please leave a little star rating and maybe even a written comment if you have the time. That would very much be appreciated. And thank you to those who have done so so far. And finally, we can also be streamed on Stitcher. You can download that application to various uh, various uh, phones. I think it's an iPhone, Android, Blackberry, and there's also an application for the iPad. And once you're in Stitcher, just type in Podcast on Fire Network, and that should get you the option to add each show individually. And over to you, John, as you are the, uh, the head honcho at vcinemashow.com. So what's, uh, what is there to say this time around of this very active and informative blog?
1: Well, we are located at vcinemashow.com, and we also have a Twitter account, uh, and we're also on Facebook, uh, all as uh, Show. Um, excuse me. I think the Facebook page is actually uh, facebook.com/vcinema. Uh, now I think of it. And actually, um, you know, uh, one of um, one of uh, the uh, ex uh, co-hosts of my podcast, um, as well as uh, our basically uh, our um, site master uh, Josh, uh, who is also on the podcast on Fire Network here with you. Ah uh, uh one thing that he noticed was that on google if you uh google v cinema um at one time a long time ago if you if you uh googled that uh, particular term, you would get basically only the Wikipedia entry for v slash cinema uh, excuse me v dash cinema, which is actually a form of uh media in Japan which is basically the direct to video market. Uh-huh. Uh, now, if you Google vCinema, uh, we appear as nine out of ten of the first uh, entries uh, on that page. So, uh, Good work. <laughs> we have infiltrated the vCinema, um, the Google network type of uh, situation there. So we, we are, are the are... media now. <laughs> yeah, that's right. That's right. The revolution will not be televised. (laughs) It'll be on vCinema. No, but actually, um, if you do search for vCinema, you'll find a bunch of our pages on there. So just come on through. Um, Our website focuses on uh, Asian film, uh, media, and culture. Um, As I mentioned, we used to have a podcast. Right now it's on permanent hiatus, unfortunately. Um, It's just a matter of uh, I don't have the time to produce a podcast anymore, unfortunately, um, as – you know, Kenneth, um, producing a podcast takes a lot of time, and uh, that's a time I really don't have anymore, unfortunately. Um, but, uh, uh, you know, again, I'm glad to join you here on the network, uh, Kenneth. Um, I'm also sort of a semi-permanent guest on other um, podcasts, too. So, and, you know, those podcasts I always mention on V Cinema. so come on by the uh, blog and uh, check us out. Uh, we got a lot of great film reviews up right now. Right now we're sort of reinventing our 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 uh, website a little bit, you know, trying yeah. to <laughs> yeah, well, the thing is that, you know, it used to be that the podcast was the main voice of the cinema, huh. so to speak. But now since we don't have the podcast anymore, I'm slowly shifting more toward, you know, doing more stuff to get readers um onto the website more um whereas before you know we were just content being sort of split up between itunes and uh and uh the website now we're trying to focus on the website more so you know I'll look for more things on the website of course you know um and uh you know hopefully sometime in the future again we'll rev up uh the cinema the podcast again uh but uh yeah for now again we're on hiatus so um
0: it's a it's a shame, but also understandable because you put so much heart and effort into it. And I know for a fact that I'm, uh, you know, it, 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 planning, scheduling, editing, uh, and, uh, and I managed to do that because I, you know, I'm busy, of course. But um, it's uh, it's I have the time to to sit here a lot, and uh, and not a lot of people do. And uh, that's why not a whole lot of podcasts survive out there. Some don't even survive beyond two or yeah. three episodes. Right. so of a, of a mix of uh mix of aspects uh and reasons so good, good on you and and i and i enjoy i i've enjoyed it i'm a big fan I, I enjoyed the new direction that you presented in two or three episodes that the uh, more with more distinct segments so i think uh if you were to resurrect it uh, even uh, even for a show here and there maybe one or two shows a year then uh, uh I'm, I'm all for it and uh but um do it only if your heart is in, in it, obviously.
1: Right, right, exactly. That's how I feel, too. And I should actually mention that if anyone does want to listen to the past episodes of the V Cinema show, then they are still available on iTunes and probably Stitcher, too. Mm-hmm. Um, it's just the case that we have, uh, you know, canceled our uh, storage account with uh, with the site that was handling that. But I think that, you know, once you're on iTunes and Stitcher and um And uh, we're also on Slapdash Radio. I think you're on there kind of permanently. So, you know, if you want to hear those past, you know, those 60 or so episodes that we uh, recorded, um, then uh, by all means, you do have the the means to download them.
0: Excellent, excellent. Uh, Well, we are moving on to discussing Ghost in the Shell from 1995 with... uh, a fair amount of background, or as much as I deem uh, suitable for, because uh, uh, you can probably do a couple of hours on Go- Ghost in the Shell and its a whole origin, but uh, we'll keep it fairly simple. But first of all, plot from animeworld.com's review of the film. So, a few decades from now, nations have been replaced by city states and mega corporations, and the world has been tied together by a vast computer network. In the Hong Kong of this new world, Section 9, a covert division of the police, investigates cybercrime and crimes committed by runaway robots. The story follows Major Motoko Kusanagi of Section 9 and her partner Bateau in their investigation of what at first appears to be a hacker known as the Puppet Master, who specializes in implanting unsuspecting people with false memories and manipulating them to do his dirty work. As it turns out, the mysterious character that has been operating behind the scenes is apparently an AI program codenamed Project 2501 that has become sentient and is now seeking asylum with Section 9. But the government agency that created the AI isn't about to let it get away and it still remains a mystery why the puppet master sought out Major Kusanagi in the first place or or what it intends to do with her. Exciting stuff! um but not as uh, it's a, it's a it sounds actiony and it sure is but it's a lot more talking philosophical than that as you might know or might not know and therefore we yes. have a little bit of background for you uh, i certainly wasn't very familiar with Ghost in the shell even pre-viewing during viewing or post viewing i just saw the movie didn't know it, it had a comic book uh, or, or a manga before and all of that. So, uh, so this is uh, good information for me to uh, to research on as well. So, uh, anyway, as mentioned, Ghost in the Shell is based on a manga series written and illustrated by Masamune Shiro, originally released in eight separate issues between 1989 and 1991. And Shiro is also the creator of Appleseed and Dominion. So, a pretty high profile artist in uh, in, the, in this world in this community I would, I would gather. He followed up Ghost in the Shell with Ghost in the Shell 2 Man slash Machine Interface and Ghost in the Shell 1.5 Human Error Processor. Uh, the manga is notable for essentially featuring along, along the story and the panels footnotes and commentary by Shiro himself on both the technology and the socio-political background of the setting and uh, in the complete English language graphic uh, novel edition of Ghost in the Shell, these footnotes take up more than 30 pages. Which I'm sure is, is, is certainly not the first one to do so, but, uh, but it's interesting that uh, he fills, uh, you know, he, he gives us additional info that is hard to cram into the, the panels, if you will. Uh, Ghost in the Shell 2 Man Machine Interface was a six-chapter manga that was originally released in 11 separate issues, written and drawn by uh, Masamune. It was first released in Japan in a serialized format in Young Magazine by Kod- Kodansha. Kodansha. Um, U.S. Dark Horse Comics uh, published the um, tra- translated version of Ghost in the Shell 2 Man Machine Interface, uh, uh, which was a free part uh, um, translation in, in their hands. And uh, finally, Ghost in the Shell 1.5 Human Error Processor is a set of four chapters that were left out of Ghost in the Shell 2 Man Machine Interface by Shiro himself. But uh, his baby went multimedia, if you will, most notably via the production IG feature anime Ghost in the Shell from 1995 that we're covering this episode. We got a sequel uh, nine years later. Ghost in the Shell Two: Innocence, uh, two thousand and four. Uh, a sequel I heavily disliked. Slash, I didn't understand one iota of what what was going on there. It was one of those. Oh, she went for it and uh, lost me anyway, uh, per- personally. So there you go. It might be a good movie actually, but I, I was like, ah, uh, what what? Huh? <laughs> it was almost red spectacles time again. It's like, hey, what's going on here? And I'm frustrated. <laughs> <laughs> um, anyway two an- anime television series or maybe two seasons rather or followed of uh, ghost in the shell called standalone complex and the second season or series was called ghost in the shell s-a-c second gig or g-i-g and they were also produced by production ig and aired on animax from 2002 to 2005 and was sold to a number of countries so this uh, the popularity was pretty great for standalone complex and availability, the availability as well so the first season uh, i thought it was solid uh, challenging yeah but uh, because it was 30 minute episodes it was uh, easily digestible as well but not certainly not a, a dumbed down version of ghost in the shell or anything it's uh it uh, appeared quite solid and uh and uh, that first season was also adapted into a feature-length original video animation t- entitled The Laughing Man, which was released in 2005. And uh, it was uh, probably a, re- a re-edit of that storyline from the first season in, in Ghost in the shell standalone complex. There, If my memory is correct, they're, they're fighting against this uh, other hacker or new name for the puppet master hacker called The Laughing Man, which for some reason could affect... Affect hum, uh, humans to well, this this happens in the movie, but it did affect humans to a point where he put that smile on their face. His like trademark smile, he always left that as a kind of calling card. So so when so when people were infected by him or hacked by him, they had these ridiculously ridiculous like creepy smiles, almost like a the Guy Fawkes mask from uh, v, for, v for Vendetta or V from Vendetta. Right, it was kind right. of that uneasy smile, like, hey, <laughs> laughing man is laughing at me. Man. I don't like it. <laughs> so, I, I was uh,
1: actually thinking more like Pac-Man or something.
0: <laughs> yeah, yeah, a little bit too. A little bit too. You're right. Uh, that OVA, uh, albeit a re-edit from uh, from that first season, it was a um, almost three-hour long OVA, so uh, po- uh, possibly it plays out quite coherently. But uh, this movie, Ghost in the Shell, was also revisited by Oshi in 2008 as Ghost in the Shell 2.0. But we don't talk about that here on the main show, that is. Um, I've, I've expressed disgust about the existence of Ghost in the Shell 2.0, but we are going to finally talk about it firmly in a website-exclusive bonus episode that will... Be put up at the same time as this show is put up so go to podcastonfire.com if you want to hear me and coffin john talk argue or rant about ghost in the shell 2.0 and uh, i'll probably be the ranty one and childish one while coffin john uh, brings the adult opinions uh, to the table which is what he usually does further on on ghost in the shell uh, again on the subject of uh, Media, uh, multimedia uh, being created surrounding a um, franchise or a movie. Obviously, this got a soundtrack release, maybe releases, uh, the Kenji Kawai score. There's novels on the subject, art books and um, other merchandise, as well as video games. And uh, speaking specifically about um, two or three of them, uh, first, there was a PlayStation 1 video game called Ghost in the Shell. Released in 1997, and this was a third-person shooter where you, as a rookie of the Public Security Section Nine, pilots one of those multi-legged tanks called uh, Fuchikoma that you see at uh, during the climax of uh, Ghost in the Shell, uh, and that was also notable for featuring animated footage uh, done by production IG uh, for the game specifically. Although the style is, uh, is definitely different, uh, you can you can see that, uh, but uh, not saying that's a bad thing. But it's clear that they weren't aiming for. A quiet soothing style or anything because this was a, an action plotline for uh, done for the game and uh, the original voice cast for the English dub of the film returned so uh, that created famili- familiarity and uh, all of that so uh, I, I, I never played it I had a Playstation 1 but I never played Ghost in the Shell I've only seen footage from it on, on various video reviews across the net and it, it, it looks solid for 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 what it is. I mean, it looks dated now, but for the PlayStation 1 back in the day, mixing that kind of action, uh, third-person shooter style, with um, animated footage that was exclusive to the game, I think, it, um, I think it should have been, would have been pretty cool and well-received at that time. It seemed like it cared, rather than being one of those movie tie- lazy movie tie-ins that you see nowadays that always need to happen at the same time as a big movie is released. I mean, this didn't have that pressure. It was released two years later um you you spotted it um at some point in in your in your travels while, while you were in japan uh, this uh, ghost in the Shell ps1 game
1: yeah uh it just so happened that um of course i was aware of the existence of the game uh, before we uh, did this series but when you mentioned the game i was thinking uh I know about it, but I've never played it before. But then I watched a couple of gameplay videos, and then I realized, well, I had played it before, but mm. um, only for about maybe five or ten minutes. Right um, when I lived in uh, Tokyo, I used to live near a um, a toy-slash-hobby-slash-game store, and they had a, a number of um, of uh, game demo kiosks in front of their store, so I would walk by there every time I'd go to work and just check out what the new games were that week and, uh, you know, play something, you know, before I uh, got on the train to go to work. And um, it so happened I remembered this game uh, pretty clearly because um, I was playing uh, one part of the game, you know, you know, as you mentioned, it's a, a third-person uh, shooter. And um, I was playing one part of the game, and I finished that one part, and then there was an anime part, and I thought, oh, I'm out. <laughs> Not impressed <laughs> Not interested in anime games, thank you. But, but the little part of that I played of it was actually pretty decent. Like you said, the graphics even back then were a little spotty. But one thing I did um, notice that was pretty good about it is the uh, animation, in, in other words, the uh, in-game animation of the mm. of the characters, the uh, the fuchikoma. You know, the, um, that's actually remarkably pretty smooth considering you know this is a three D. Third-person shooter, which you know, hard, sometimes hard to pull off because if you have too much stuff on screen, of course, there's going to be slowdowns and uh, yeah. and tearing and stuff like that. But I know, I do remember, at least from my memory, that uh, you know, thinking, "Hey, this actually animates pretty well, even though everything else looks like a bunch of like blocks and triangles." Mm-hmm. You know,
0: yeah, yeah, the gameplay videos certainly gave that impression as well because it, it, it went on wrong so to say or if they were too over ambitious these types of games for that uh, format then the the lagging and the clipping and what have you would be pretty evident uh, as soon as two free enemies were on screen or what have you so um, so it, it seems like i pulled it off uh, quite well i think it I, I i'm sure it plays well today still uh, so um i mean yeah the graphics look dated but i think uh, it looks like a solid solid experience so if they do release it on uh, for instance my local the playstation network then i'll, I'll probably give it a look. uh but uh further games the ghost in the Shell standalone complex was released for the playstation 2 and the playstation portable in 2004 uh well there, there were two different games actually the, uh, the standalone complex game for the psp was called hunters territory and uh, the playstation 2 one was a third person shooter and the psp one was a first person shooter so uh they um they they did that. Uh, only saw footage from uh, the PlayStation 2 game. Uh, look 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 solid. Nothing that will you know uh, that, that I don't think would blow uh, blow my mind then or anything. But it looks uh, solid and a nice demo for the system back then. Uh, probably a nice um, solid tie-in to standalone complex. Again, not a desperate tie-in to coincide with the television premiere or a DVD premiere or anything. Yeah. Uh, so good that uh, production IG uh, didn't put that pressure on themselves, or or had that pressure put on them to to deliver a half finished game in uh, time for a major release or anything, which is uh, kind of what happens even uh, even nowadays with uh, movie tie-ins or what have you. Standalone Complex even had one of those uh, Pachinko arcade games, and I always often forget what the Pachinko is. Is it one of those game is one of those games where the balls keep keep falling down, and you have to yeah. What is it? My memory is so bad. Right. So yeah, I, that's I think it. you explained um, it before. but uh.
1: Yeah, and actually, I, I saw the machine uh, last time I went out to Japan. Um, it's, yeah, as you said, you're basically shooting balls up into a play field, and you're trying to land them into a little, like, uh, I guess you'd call it like a little claw or a little cup. And when it does that, it basically triggers the machine to give you basically what you could call a slot machine spin. And then if you line up three numbers, then basically, you know, you win. Of course, you know, put, uh, current digital pachinko is uh, very different from that now. It's, it's, it's very, you know, they're very complex, like animation sequences and, you know, little, um, like, mechanical sections of the play field that can move around and stuff. So it's actually pretty interesting to watch, I would think, that if you're a fan. So probably if you go onto YouTube, you can find, uh, you know, if you just – search for a ghost in the shell pachinko machine you can you can see for yourself what it looks like but um i saw the machine and uh you know again it was one of those things where i was like oh because i'm actually a big pachinko player when i go to japan i usually play at least you know once or twice you know just for the hell of it just see what new machines are out and how they play and stuff huh. and you know i was looking at the machine and i'm like uh, anime, no. anime i think i'm out i think i'll stick with something more grown up like Star Wars or something. <laughs> and by the way, there is a Star Wars mach- uh, Pachinko machine
0: too. They looked uh, almost epileptic in their like uh, assault of lights and animation and sound. Yeah, these yeah. Pachinko
1: games. That, that's why I actually like playing the older machines that don't have as many lights. I'm sounding like an old man right now, but yeah. uh,
0: well, well I'm, well, I'm the same. I'm sensitive to that
1: stuff. Yeah. You know, whenever I, whenever I
0: walk past a radio that's a ch- uh, that's on. One of those commercial stations that sounds that that sounds like Star Wars is going on. I get an instant headache. <laughs> uh, I, I can't take tune tune tune. Welcome, good morning. And then they play crap music in between, of course, and that, that is what gives me a headache as well. Uh, so uh, there you go. I'll, I'll probably check out um, if there's a YouTube video for for the Ghost in the Shell one. That, uh, should be fun to see how that works. Uh, anyway, back to the 1995 movie again. Uh, Comparisons to how it plays versus the manga uh, were out there in, uh, when I did research, and it mentioned that the movie goes more for atmosphere and slow pace, which is not uncommon tools for director Oshii, as we have discussed uh, throughout the series. Uh, but since it was, it was also a short feature adaptation running only 82 minutes. Uh, if the decision was made uh, to follow mostly the Puppet Master plot rather than the accompanying subplots, the manga feature, which is common and understandable as far as adaptations go. Uh, I, I didn't see any if I find any specifics in terms of what they cut but I imagine more stories in the manga were created surrounding the main team and even the old leader of section 9 to f- flesh out their characters uh, and and feature more more adventures and maybe it was more action oriented therefore uh, in certain chapters
1: well actually I can uh, actually I did a little research on that part and um because uh... John is better than me <laughs> no, because I was actually kind of curious myself. I mean, I guess it's just sort of natural curiosity to know, to try to want to know, you know, what part of the entire overall Ghost in the Shell uh, story, you know, this particular part of the movie or this particular movie falls into. And uh, luckily, um, a, a person who we were hoping that would uh, um, special guest host this show with us. Uh, uh, Brian Rue, actually I should say Dr. Brian Rue, he just got mm-hmm. his uh, doctor pretty recently. Uh, he wrote a book called Stray Dog of Anime, the Films of Mamoru Shi, and I believe I referenced that book um, in an earlier episode. Mm-hmm. But um, he actually wrote down that uh, about the film that it encompassed, of course, one part of the overall Ghost in the Shell story, But it was a very pivotal uh, moment of the story. Um, Mm -hmm. So, you know, at the very least we're getting this part of the story that uh, has some importance in the overall scheme of the world as well as uh, the overall storyline of of Ghost in the Shell. All the different versions (laughs) that are out there,
0: yeah. The movie was also notable at the time for blending traditional animation with computer generated imagery, uh, but uh, you you gotta also connect that uh, that uh, notable fact to VOVA Macros Plus from the year before, which was applauded for the same stance and decision to feature animation and CGI imagery, uh, mid-90s and all of that. and. Uh, Notable also for getting a simultaneous release in Japan, Britain and the US as a way of achieving more mainstream appeal for anime, which didn't really work in terms of the theatrical theatrical showings of the film, at least uh, overseas, but it was more of a hit on video worldwide uh, subsequently than in the theatres and was very well received critically upon release. Uh, There's a quote from uh, the later Roger Ebert on the old US DVD, uh, that he called it the uh, unusually intelligent and challenging science fiction aimed at smart audiences so <laughs> mainstream appeal <laughs> you know, because it, it's not an action manga as such as so I always find it curious that they pushed so hard for it and then showed a talking piece you know a, a talky piece, a philosophical piece for that those mainstream audiences that uh, yeah. that actually uh went to see it in the theaters but uh you know uh, that's a good tactic as well. Uh, it's a bit of a risk i suppose but uh brave brave of them to uh push for ghost in the shell
1: yes yes i think so too mm.
0: and and of course i uh, uh maybe not main mainstream research but akira was certainly at that time a you know a known uh known anime and no manga so it uh you, you never know what you can reach the mainstream with and akira i think has uh, burst through the mainstream to a decent Degree and that is a bit of a mind fuck if we're gonna gonna got to be if we're, we're gonna be frank about it.
1: Yeah, uh, I think even it, more so than Ghost in the Shell.
0: <laughs> yeah, exactly. It's the it's not an assault. I mean, oh, she keeps it quiet. Uh, Akira and its director, i I'm forgetting, I'm forgetting his name now, assaults us and uh, in a good way. I love Akira, uh, even yeah. I mean, though I don't know exactly why. <laughs> I just I, I just love uh, that it goes for it and all and all of that. And uh, it. It made an impression, Ghost in the Shell, and influenced filmmakers subsequently, such as uh, Larry and Lana Wachowski, who, were, who, when creating The Matrix, said they wanted to do what Ghost in the Shell did, but for real. And obviously, Wachowski's also pulled uh, influences from Hong Kong cinema and uh, and uh, transferred their, their fandom and influence uh, very well. So, uh, Terminator 2 and Avatar director, James Cameron, also called it, quote, the first truly adult animation film to reach a level of level of literary and visual excellence so it's time to discuss our views of ghost in the shell after this uh, hefty background so i'll hand it over to you coffin john and uh, i'm sure you have a little bit of history in terms of uh, ghost in the shell because i gather this was not a first time watch of ghost in the shell
1: it wasn't uh, it was actually the just a second time watch mm. <laughs> but uh yeah i think i'd first heard of ghost in the shell probably back in late 97, uh, possibly early 98. I can't quite remember, but I, I do remember that I was in uh, Hawaii at the time. Um, I got my bachelor's degree uh, there at the University of Hawaii. Sweet. <laughs> and um, yeah, and uh, this happened like j- just before, uh, when I was in grad school and uh, just before moving to Japan, um, I had a, a number of classmates who were at the time, I guess it was somewhat of a uh, revolutionary thing was to uh, regard anime as in an academic light. And um, my friends out there in the University of Hawaii, you know, I guess they had seen um, Ghost in the Shell, and they really pushed it on me a lot. Um, and at the time, well, even I now, wanna, you know, you
0: want to, I don't want to, you do want to, I don't want to.
1: <laughs> exactly. Yeah. At the time. And I'll say even now, you know, I'm a little hesitant to watch May, you know, but um, at the same time, I don't want to deny myself something that it could be considered, you know, a good, uh, especially people who, you know, who have high filters for these kinds of things, you know, in the determination of what is worth watching and what is, you know, uh, it's, it's okay, but it's not something that you're probably going to be interested in. Right. Uh, with that said, um, uh, I sort of just left it behind and just kept in my mind, okay, well, maybe one day when I see it. Um. So uh, after moving to Japan, you know, um, you know, I just... Keep hearing about it, and then, um, of course, when you're in Japan, uh, even though Ghost in the Shell wasn't as uh, big of a hit or a big of a cultural phenomenon uh, in Japan as it was as it uh, became, uh, at least in the United States, um, you know, I, I would still – experience it you know i'd run into things you know oh that's ghost in the shell i remember hearing about that and you know like i told you about my experience of seeing the video game and playing it a little bit at that uh that little game store that was uh near my old apartment um so i finally decided that uh you know during a christmas break i believe it was in 99 um when i came back here to san francisco okay i'll watch this thing because i keep hearing little things about it so it must be at least interesting and you know like you said it's got that roger ebert quote and there's james cameron all these people kind of putting up for it and saying you know this is a sort of a must watch you know um and uh you know i was surprised when i watched it the first Hmm. time um because you know even if you look at the cover of uh, you know even the dvd let's say you know you're Kind of thinking, oh, uh, robots, naked women, you know, is this going to be really, you know, all that it cracks up to be, you know, mm-hmm. or all that everyone else is cracking it up to be, right? But um, I really thought it was a very thoughtful and thought-filled uh, piece, um, very different from what you might expect from science fiction Um you know when you think of science fiction you think of things that are more uh, like they're more like action films just disguised with with a um with a science fiction mask behind them, mm-hmm. so Star Wars for instance, right there's some thoughtful stuff in Star Wars, but for the most part, people enjoy it because you know it's got a lot of interesting characters and there's this good and evil battle you know whereas you know ghost and Shell there's also that element to it um you know, where we have the sort of malevolent uh, police forces and, you know, we have these sort of robots who are sort of fighting against those forces, not directly, you know, not in a physical sense, but more in a philosophical sense, you know. So that's where I think the film has its meat, I guess you could say it, it where it's a, you know, it's this philosophical, pondering sort of sci-fi film, you know it's got this existentialist edge you know something like solaris you know i i know that we have um we've i at least i have brought up that you know she must have been uh influenced somewhat by tarkovsky and mm-hmm. i think ghost in the shell sort of shows that you know there was that element in there where um you know the sort of mixing of sci-fi and uh and real world philosophies um uh, so that's that's kind of how I see the film, um, and you know, with that said, you know, it, it can be what what I what's really good about the film is that it can be as simple or as dense as you as you want to make it. You know, whereas you know um, you know a similar film that we talked about earlier in this series, you know, something like uh, Angel's Egg. Angel's Egg, I, I think, is really kind of dense, and if mm. there's not much to grab onto, if you just want to enjoy a story let's say
0: no no
1: and what you know what there is that you can grab onto is kind of like weird or you know obscure or abstract so it's not not a really a pleasant experience but i think ghost in the shell can be a pleasant experience because it has i think enough of the i don't want to say action elements but story elements that are easy to follow Mm -hmm you know it's like okay she's a robot okay she's you know she's trying to find this rogue ai you know okay uh you know they finally meet in the end and they merge you know and i'm sorry that that's probably a spoiler but uh i think we have to regard this discussion area somewhat as spoiler oriented uh by its you know nature but um but anyway so there's enough i think for a more mainstream film audience to grab onto but there's also enough for you know the hardcore or the more inquisitive minds, I guess you could say, to sort of dig deep into and figure out you know what what the talking points or discussion points of this film can be. Um,
0: it's kind of where I am uh, to to interrupt you a little bit in terms of I uh, there, there's a lot uh, I want to get it all, but I know there's a a, a fair amount of things that kind of just past me but not in a way that I start criticizing it but I also always come to the conclusion that the beats are quite simple to follow you know I I talk to myself Mm -hmm. I can. the beats are very simple and by the final tally you know by the end you kind of definitely know the basic beats of what happened and it also affects you to a, a fairly deep degree you know I think it's a very fascinating film to to watch and take in having said that it's a film that i have sort of trouble recapping because uh uh i don't know i just want to do i just want to do good when recapping it but i i do get it i can grasp at a lot of things as you said and uh, maybe thankfully uh thankfully because the movie maybe has to uh, speak very clearly about what it's doing, and the characters do as well, which is a good thing. It's not an exposition nightmare. Uh, It's, uh, you know, I can get it based on that, but I think it's a very fascinating watch, despite it being told very, said very clearly, but at the same time, it presents a challenge to you. It doesn't do the entire homework for you, but, uh, um, so so I always stay with it. I'm always on board with it, and technically, it's always something to marvel at, but I can also switch that note and say that I don't really notice the movie's, like, you know, grand anime revolutionary style. Where If it was that in 1995, you know, you notice that hey, that animation looks good. You know, the detail in the Hong Kong scenes is pretty good and there's some CGI imagery. But you don't think too much about that. At least I don't. I mean, I'm, I'm, I'm with the flow of the movie, at least.
1: Right. And I think one thing that's really in the film's favor, um, especially at the time... Was I think it really sort of encompassed exactly, at least you know um, from a story standpoint, kind of like a um, I'm trying to think of the word um, I don't want to say epoch, um, but sort of like it was perfect for its time. Mm-hmm. I just can't really think of the word that, that I'm supposed to be using here. But um, you know we had we had already had films like Terminator, Blade Runner. A dark city came out just a couple years afterwards, I believe.
0: Yeah, it was a '98 movie. Yeah, and then
1: right, and then sort of culminating in the Matrix. You know, whether you like the Matrix series or not, you know, is you know that's up to you to decide. But you know, at the very least, the first Matrix was you know a very good film mm-hmm. that you know depicted this sort of cyberpunk uh, uh, ethos. Uh, you know and i think that ghost in the shell really fits very nicely within that that time period not only for film but also for the for the time because you got to remember this is turn of the century already and you know we had things like y2k you know, we were becoming more aware of the internet. You know, the internet has became more commercial around this time. Yeah. You know, there were a lot of us who were on BBSs, et cetera, back in the early 90s, mm-hmm. you know, late 80s, whatever. But, you know, this is when the commercial visual internet had, you know, come into more uh, greater awareness. So we were co- becoming aware more so that technology could be shaping humanity. More so than humanity could be shaping technology, so I think this really that this is where the film really gets its the high pedestal that's put on, if I mm. can say that, sure. is because it was really reflecting this time period. You know whether Oshi had atten- intended that or not, and I'm sure he probably did. You know because I think Japanese people are very aware of how technology shapes humanity and how humanity shapes technology. That's 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 a running stream throughout you know yeah, Japan yeah, it's, all, in it's almost fields. also
0: the uh it's almost also the literal theme and the storyline of the film to to a degree when talking about the de- defining life form and defining um, humanity and uh, right so right. so so it definitely fits um
1: but I'm thinking you know even more so than in just anime and manga, though, mm-hmm. it also appears in Japanese literature. and it's it's part of like almost like everyday life. I mean, if you' if you've been to Japan even for like, or you don't even have to be have been to Japan, but you could just read about Japan at least and get some idea that you know, there is this sort of what's the word, symbiosis between humans, humans, and machines now that's very different from like like I live in the u s where You know, I live in sort of middle, I don't live in middle America, I live in middle California where, you know, I'm still sort of like separated from machines to the degree that, you know, I can turn off all my machines and sort of walk away from them and go hiking or something, escape, you know, what it is to be a technological person. Mm -hmm. But when I, for example, lived in Tokyo, that's a lot harder to do. I mean, you have to, you have to... Do a lot more to get away from machines. You know, you have to whatever you have to take a a multi-hour train ride, and <laughs> you know, even on the train, you know, there's you know there's monitors everywhere. Or there's there's vestiges of you know technology everywhere in oh. Japan. Whereas I think in the U.S., maybe Sweden, probably, where you know there are pockets of place where you can definitely be cut off from the rest of the world technologically.
0: Oh, of course, yeah. Speaking a little bit of um how the movie sets itself up and all of that and I, I have no true criticisms against the film I should state that uh, at this point but uh, uh, it's the world it sets up it's, it's fine but also what if you can't latch on to what's going on in the entire world of Ghost in the Shell it's easy to latch on to the what the main characters are going through and the, and the main plot you know if you only focus on the major and the puppet master and, and bateau to 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 a degree then you're then you're fine and you're, you'll be able to get it and all of that. But uh, I, I'm that kind of viewer that the, I, I try to take it all in. But with Ghost in the Shell, I I, I I can cut out a little bit here and there and just focus on the main frame and and, and, and that's perfectly fine. But it's interesting going back to the mainstream appeal of it all. she certainly opus in a way where like here's how you draw in uh, general audiences. Boobies and gore <laughs> and action, you know, because the entire pre credit scene is this uh, is this uh, covert operation, or or however you want to say it, that uh, where where the major takes out uh, takes out this uh, I don't know if it's a political figure or not, but uh, they're, they're definitely um, uh, they're on a mission, and she uh, before she drops uh, to the floor where she's, where she then shoots out the windows and kills the guy. She takes off off all, all her clothes, which apparently is needed for her um, camouflage, her thermo camouflage thing to, to trigger properly. But I'm not too sure about that in reality, <laughs> because there's a character later in the film that just wears a, a, a hood and a, and a cape and gets cloaked that way.
1: Yeah, I think there's a little ambiguity as whether she's really naked or not, because at I remember in a later scene, it looks like she's naked, but it turns out she's just wearing a flesh-colored suit. Oh. So, I mean... I guess in some way you could say that you know maybe I, I she was playing Nick it Bulls, a little so, safe. So, yeah. oh, okay, well, <laughs> know, maybe maybe it was a cold evening. You know, yeah, we don't Nick know. Bulls. You know, I mean, falling from a building, you know, that's a lot that's of cool. air pressure coming through your. But I, I you know, you might be correct again, but, but there's also a safety valve that she is a cyborg. Though, yeah, you know, I mean, she's not a human. So you could argue that, you know, for example, if this was going to a rating sport, hey, look, she's a robot, you know, or whatever, you know, that kind of thing. PG. Yeah.
0: <laughs> uh, but, but, or but at least know, PG-13. Yeah, of course. I think it was an R when, when all was it down there because of uh, it, it has some pretty great violence and gore, and it almost, uh, I, I like that it opens this way. It's not, uh, it doesn't betray the other parts of the movie, but because you got gunplay and gore straight out of you know something like the OVA Angel Cop, which is this uh, sci-fi police action with some pretty uh, pretty hefty gore and uh, and the nudity every now and again, uh, from uh, less cyborgy but still uh, has has its sci-fi elements if you would. Right,
1: and he, I, I, and, and I even
0: supernatural it, by
1: the way. I think what makes the beginning strong is that there's no exposition or very little. I think there's a little text at the very beginning, like just to sort of get a, like give people as a, a general idea of the setting of the, yeah. of the situation. But then there's no, like, real talking about, okay, well, she's a cyborg, she's going to drop into the building. You know, there's not, like, this, like, extended dialogue about what's no. going to happen in the sequence. It's just the sequence itself. And then, and then you know, we're off to the races, so to speak.
0: And it's pretty striking to open that way. And then very striking to cut to what well, is probably a very very quoted sequence out of the movie, and it's the credit sequence, uh, the making of a cyborg sequence uh, which uh, you know is striking in the in the way that though directs these uh, stages that uh, the cyborg is uh, how it's built and how it's born and all of that it's uh, and and it's um, set to Kenji Kawai's um, uh, score which which is uh, in this Brilliant uh, score by the way it's be a beautiful score i mean you've talked of Kenji Kawai as sometimes being quite I haven't heard many of his scores outside of Oshi's, but you had the impression that sometimes it, it's just, you know, regular scores on J-pop and there you go. You know, it's almost lazy in, but, but you know, in terms of this and Stray Dog, and I don't know if he scored uh, Angel's Egg or not, but uh, he, he certainly made such a favorable favorable impression working with Oshi. Uh, and yes. the, this haunting choral song, um, it, it's interesting to talk a little bit about that that background to that song and why how it was created. So I I, I might as well quote to get it right here. Uh, in the liner notes of the soundtrack they talk of the choral song that plays um, in this sequence throughout the film uh, every now and again. And it's a wedding song. Uh, sung to get rid of all evil influences they're about to follow. And uh, the lyrics of the song itself seems to reflect uh, the union between Kusanagi and, and Project 2501 or the for the puppet master, and um, Kenji Kawai originally wanted to use Bulgarian folk singers, but was not able to find any, so he relied on uh, a Japanese folk singing choir that he used earlier in an anime called Ranma Half. Um, so it uses this song uses this ancient form of Japanese language mixed with uh, Bulgarian harmony and traditional Japanese notes, and um, you know it's very. High pitched as well and loud, which uh, mm-hmm. is very very enchanting and the uh, an English translation I, I picked up on Manette as well, which I'm hoping is sort of correct, but it seems like it's a vague, uh, uh, vague type of lyric as well. So the English translation I saw was, uh, when you are dancing, a beautiful lady becomes drunken; when you are dancing, a shining moon rings; a god descends for a wedding, and dawn approaches while the night bird sings. God Bless You, and that's repeated four times, apparently. Um, regardless if you hear that song, uh, understand it, and connect it to the plot of the film and the theme, that, that, in my mind, I I don't see it, but man, is it enchanting. And uh, his score for as you said, is uh, very versatile, and not movie score as such, because in my notes, there, there are actually a few, a few notes in terms of Kenji Kawai uh, scoring action scenes in uh, with a very soothing, quiet score. You know, we got high octane action set to nylon, n- n- not silence, but the music doesn't stand out. It's not pumping or anything. Uh, it never is in in any in any of the action sequences, really.
1: Yeah, I think his uh, music is actually fairly subdued in this film. Um, you know, Kenji Kawai, uh, his his non soundtrack work tends to be a little more on the dramatic like classic rock kind of side you know uh, squealing guitars and all that stuff you know which is fine he's he's a he's actually an excellent musician in a technical sense even though i'm not really into his kind of music um uh, one thing that i uh, one thing that you alluded to in that uh, the choral theme is that uh, the language that's used is not modern japanese it's um It's what's called Yamato Japanese, or, you know, it's like you said, it's a more ancient form of Japanese. It was kind of interesting uh, experiencing that, because, you know, the first time I watched the film, I didn't know Japanese as well as I do now. And it was interesting to actually pick out bits, uh, uh, bits, I should say, words that Mm -hmm. actually still maintain their same meaning. In modern Japanese, so for example, God, you can hear, um, you can hear Kami, which is, you know, in, in Japanese means God. You can hear that in the ancient script. And, you know, I, I've heard and looked at, um, Yamato Japanese before. And a lot of it's to, I guess, to a modern speaker, and especially someone who's not a native speaker, is basically incomprehensible. But it's kind of interesting to see that some of those words just sort of, uh, uh, sort of progressed along the uh, linguistic, uh, uh, linguistic historical line.
0: Yeah, and I think that this sequence—I might be wrong here—but the actual cyborg that is born, I think, is the actual cyborg body that the puppet master later takes over. The, the, the cyborg that is uh, run run down on the highway that they pick up, and that's, uh, that that appears. Uh, uh, only as a torso um, throughout the film. I I I I'm, I might be wrong, but I think it's my, it might be that. So yeah,
1: I, I would I would say it's pretty safe to say so. If not, it's probably uh, Kusanagi. You know, when she was herself quote unquote born. You mm-hmm. know, so,
0: yeah. Um. Yeah, it's I um, I don't know if it is as um. Scary in my mind as such, but I I think uh, it's a. Uh, the world that he sets up here, she and the writers, and obviously Masamune before, is that, that we're so vul- vulnerable. In this case, too, to, you know, being entirely hacked ourselves, you know, but we're mm-hmm. li- literally, you know, the puppet master goes after this, this uh, garbage truck man, this Yo Shmo that uh, is said to be spying on his wife by hacking into various terminals uh, terminals across the, across the city, but he's actually... You know, controlled by the puppet master, and when when he gets his realization that he's been that his ghost has been hacked, if you will, it's it's kind of heartbreaking, and uh, you get you get reminded of at least in twenty thirteen, and I'm sure it's been true for many years that we are kind of vulnerable. I mean, we we are protected by firewalls and uh, and protect, protection in general, but I think we are vulnerable to to hacking, and certainly identity theft is um, is uh, on the rise still, and uh, all too easy it seems like to um, to go, right. to accomplish
1: but I think this this part of the film really sort of starts on the line of, you know, as I mentioned these are films like Blade Runner, Dark City," etc. in this um you know, I guess we call it the cyberpunk ethos of basically questioning who are we and why yeah. are we as people, right? Indeed. you know, um, you know as you mentioned, identity identity is a big part of who we are, but if our memories somehow become wiped are we still the same people we were before when we had our memories, mm-hmm. you know? Yeah. So that's, uh, that's the thing that's kind of interesting um, to note about the film is that, you know, again, it sort of falls along this cyberpunk line, again, of, of questioning, you know, this who are we, uh, why are we sort of thing, what is what is existence, you know, what mm-hmm. is memory, that those kinds of questions, you know. And, of course, you know, the film well no one really can answer that right now at least so no
0: it's um it's it, it's a very interesting uh, premise and a question that r- runs throughout the film that we're very aware of because the major literally talks about it um uh, and, uh, and and the movie that never ne- never feels any shame in terms of like let, let's just have the characters talk about what's going on here but that that's uh, Again, not exposition nightmare at all. It's uh, it's helpful certainly, and uh, it's mm-hmm. um, but and and it has action of course, but it is talky, 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 and and uh, and you got you know the mages, uh very uh, very icy character too, you know. So it, it's you, you would think that in in her cyborg ways, I suppose, and as a leader of this section uh, or this team, and and I suppose you would find it hard to connect to her, but you know. On the contrary, I think that's um, as she expresses uh, doubt, if you will, or fear mm-hmm. or anxiety, and question her questions her existence and what is existence. It's uh, you. You definitely do connect. To her, uh, I think anyway. Or what do you think in general?
1: Well, I think the main thing, her main conflict, is that she is aware of her identity. And I think she is aware that she wants to evolve or change, mm-hmm. but she is confined from doing so from both her, what might be her program or her job to be in the police force. Yeah. You know, and I get, again, I say program in the computer sense. You know, yes. maybe as a cyborg, she has been programmed to do this position, but her mind has evolved you know through the net or whatever it is to the sense that she's aware that she could break free of this program if only she knew the me- the means of doing so mm-hmm. and I, I, I
0: wonder of... if it's uh, mm-hmm. it's due to the fact that uh, i'm sure cyborgs in this world are built quite you know differently various via different techniques but she i think comes from this uh, factory or this type of technique of manufacturing cyborgs where she is uh, her brain is at least part organic, so uh, it might be developing
1: well, through, right, through yeah. that, I through, through
0: flesh, through the flesh. This might being mean, connected c- to the nets.
1: <laughs> right, Cy- cyborg, of course, is not a robot; it's a cybernetic mm-hmm. organism. You know, part, exactly. part human, part uh, part machine, right? So you know, there's most likely there is that part of the brain that is, if not all things, you know, still human, you know, to a degree. Mm-hmm. But. Um, You know, and I think that's, you know, what I was saying about uh, her wanting to break free, you know, this is a theme that sort of repeats itself in the film. You know, for example, you know, she has this hobby, this odd hobby of wanting to dive, right? Mm -hmm. And when she dives, she doesn't do like a normal sort of diving like we do as humans when we go scuba diving or whatever. You know, we usually dive face first or we go horizontal face down when we are swimming through the ocean or the pool or whatever. And what she does is basically sort of go uh, face up and she sort of just sinks into the ocean, Mm -hmm. you know, and then sort of tries to come back up with that same sort of manner, which is kind of interesting because, I mean, if you want to sort of really dig deep into a metaphor, when she, when she um, ascends you know out of the ocean you can almost say well that's a birth metaphor right because it's like the baby coming out of the uh what's called the amniotic fluid you Mm -hmm. know when when they're born you know as babies you know we are of course when we are in the womb you know we are surrounded by liquid right Mm -hmm. that liquid is what gives us life you know it's part of you know our raising as as be as um as infants in the womb you know likewise you know of course if you want to extend the metaphor even more you know she is diving in the ocean you know the ocean is the center of life for uh for the earth right that's where life first began right uh-huh. you know through all whatever you call them, cells and molecules and all that stuff, you know, forming into become, you know, um, not sentient, but unsentient, you know, simple beings into, you know, evolving into more complex creatures, you know, allegedly uh, to, you know, the end of the evolutionary ladder of what we call humans, which I don't necessarily think is the end of the evolutionary Mm -hmm. ladder, but, you know, Certainly life has become more complex through time and where it all started was the ocean. So, you know, so we have, again, we have this theme of her wanting to become reborn and wanting to change and become something different or greater than what she is at that time.
0: And she expresses that also, but not in a way where oh, she does the entire homework for us uh, uh, right. Because because Bateau literally asks her, you know, what what why do you dive? Why do you do? Why do you dive the way you do? And she says at one point like that when she breaks the surface, she uh, she hopes for change. You know, she she feels fear and anxiety when diving, but when breaking right. the surface, she's hoping for. Some kind of change,
1: right? Very, growth, very like. subtle little bit of dialogue. I thought, you know, it yeah, was yeah, exactly. very restrained. You know, it wasn't like "I feel reborn." You know, kind of like what I just said about a minute ago.
0: <laughs> exactly, and that's why I, that, that's why I like that. It's it's clear, but not not uh, do not do the homework for us. I guess is uh, the, yeah. the, the the point. We, we, I, I really appreciate it. I it's mean, not showy it's, either, you know. Exactly, and and it that. Has you know, before all of that, we've had like high octane action that's still been quiet action because of this uh, quiet score by Kenji Kawai. that is quietly humming away, just minor beats here and there. And but but you you definitely know by by the point we reach the diving sequence that she she and even the character of Bateau they they are quite resigned and it seems they either they're cold and icy because the work dictates it, but it seems like they're affected by the fact that. These uh, They're fighting an uphill battle. Uh, These uh, regular folks can be hacked in an instant and they can't be reverted to their prior states, if you will. They're they're saying that deprogramming or reprogramming is rarely successful after someone's ghosts have been hacked. Uh, And it's really kind of heartbreaking. It seems like they they express some kind of, albeit quietly, in a way... uh, sad emotions about well, what kind of uphill battle uh, they're, they're fighting you know despite being a technically advanced section uh, sure. so we can, and we just we, kind of what what happens to in real life that uh, you know if you will cyber criminals or hackers they they are often a step ahead uh, exploiting vulnerable uh, vulnerability in the systems so and what have you uh, so, so so even like the, the action sequences I don't think uh, they, they don't make your heart or pulse, you know, pound or anything, because they are strangely atmospheric and quiet, despite having huge weaponry and even gore within them and all of that. So, and uh, but 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 I don't think it clashes. Not not at all. I think it's uh, quite uh, well. Uh, if you look at Oshi and Kenji Kawa, I think it's uh, their best collaboration in that regard, in terms of storyteller and and uh, composer to go along with that. Right.
1: One thing that's kind of interesting about the uh the violence I thought um you know I just thought you know the second time around watching the film you know of course when you see the um when you see the title of the film ghost in the shell you know you're automatically sort of drawn to think or remember uh, ghost in the machine mm-hmm. and uh, i think most people remember that title from the uh the police album from the i believe it was the early 80s or something oh, right. okay. but the ghost in the machine is actually a real uh it's a real concept it's a phrase that's as uh, part of this philosophical philosophical do- doctrine that uh, basically the human mind has not evolved through change but instead as evolved through construction. So, you know, when we think of evolve, we think that something changes through time and gets better and better and better, you know. Um, You know, again, theoretically, humans are supposed to be the top of this uh, evolutionary chain, you know, and we have evolved basically once through our – the function of our use. So, for example, we need legs because we need to be more mobile, you know. We have stronger, uh, you know, we have uh, stronger arms because we need to be able to lift things. You know, this kind of idea of evolution, you know, it's very common. Uh, the concept, this ghost in the machine concept is a little different though. It kind of, They kind of believe that evolution has come from a primitive structure and evolution is basically not a result of that primitive structure changing and evolving and becoming better, but other structures being placed over it. Mm -hmm. So, for example, um, you know, if we think of our primitive human self, we think of ourselves as being maybe aggressive or violent, you know, these sort of primal sort of urges, you could say, you know, sex and all that kind of stuff, right? Procreate, survive, right? Mm -hmm. Those are the two main things that we think of when we think of the primitive human. So, you know, the ghost machine concept is that instead of that part evolving, that these other parts have Evolved, uh, I don't want to say evolved. Sorry, constructed over that. At our core, we are still then that's still that primitive human because that that primitive part of us still exists, right? It's just that it's sunk under layers of so-called refinement and humanity and civil civilized behavior, right? Mm. But you know, this theory said basically goes into that to explain a lot of our aggressive behavior is that that primitive part of ourselves becomes dominant over those so-called, you know, again, civilized human, humane uh, parts that have developed over it. So that's, that's in a way, you know, uh, and again, we're extending metaphors here. I'm a metaphor extender. It's by Mm -hmm. nature. Okay. So, you know, I know there are a lot of people out there listening on their iPods or are rolling their eyes right now. I, I, I understand it, you know, whatever. But, you know, that sort of, in a way, explains this sort of quiet violence. You know, it's not, as you said, you know, it's more, it's not like action-oriented, you know, fist-pumping, heart-pumping violence. It's in these very quiet moments that uh, are very, in a way, kind of eerie, you know, like there's that final, you, you alluded to one battle with this one person who got soul-hacked. Mm-hmm. basically
0: i think Kawaii scores at his most quiet during the most intense yes. action moments right. which is great exactly.
1: and there's this, there's a later scene in which uh Motoko is uh fighting this like tank uh that's kind of like a sentry guarding that uh, ai mm-hmm. that's been stolen and that's also a very quiet uh scene and i think that you know that's you know this ghost in the shell ghost in the machine sort of uh, theory is kind of going into that cuz it's it's violence, but it's it's a it's this sort of primal, you know, this primal part of humans that's you know still exists because we at our soul we have not really evolved. We've just been able to build these layers over that that primal bit of us, you know. Mm-hmm. So I I think that, you know in a sense that you know the, the film doesn't explicitly say, state that, but it, that it even just touches on that is sort of interesting in itself, because the film never really explains what a ghost really is, mm-hmm. you know. Is it our soul? Is it a program? You know, is it a, a bit of memory, you know? It's this thing that's inside of us that somehow makes us a human, and the fact that it can be hacked or that it can be messed with, you know, mm-hmm. is in itself kind of like scary, of course.
0: But in that, I mean, there, we have there's big uh, aspects and questions here that again, mm-hmm. I, I I can have trouble recapping, but I have no problem like understanding during viewing, uh, right? Uh, because especially when the puppet master has uh, his or her big speech about why, for instance, uh, it's valid that he or she can seek political asylum, because who's to say mm-hmm. I- I'm not a life form, despite uh despite being connected to the net only and not being a person for instance if you want right. to be simple about it and and those are all super interesting passages as as spoken about and i mean there's lots of talk about it but it's all very captivating the way it's written i mean we then i believe the writer is katsu katsu niro hiro ito who's worked on with oshi uh, several times before so uh, i think that I mean, I I rely on translation obviously, but the English translation, uh, uh, the subtitles, uh, really do a good job conveying that uh, the, the, this is all challenging, despite it being set to us. You know, right. it's not dumbed down in any way.
1: Yeah, and one thing, and uh, uh, one last thing I want to mention about the um, the ghost part, or the soul part, it, and again, this is sort of extending away from the film, is that you know, if you think of it as a soul or as a program, you know, even you know, who's to say that, you know, if if the soul or the ghost can be hacked, you know, who's to say that th- that this part of us can be trusted? Right. Uh-huh. Uh-huh. I mean, you know, on one hand, we can trust ourselves to be moral, you know, or to do the right thing or to do the thing that at least best fits our purpose, you know, as humans. Right. Like, for uh-huh. example, like you know, you go to work on time every day because it's your job, it's your duty, right? It's something that has become a a part of you as as a responsibility, you know, it's kind of programmed into you, so to speak, right? What if that program in you betrayed you, you know, suddenly, you know, suddenly, what are you? Are you a human, you know, are you a robot? Are you, you know, some computer? Are you just some, some thought out there in the ethernet, you know, that's, that's something that's kind of interesting to think about, even though again, it's not covered really in the film. Just something to sort of mull over, I guess.
0: Yeah, exactly. I mean the, that uh, that heartbreak that can be connected to uh, to a scenario, if you will, like that. We uh, we we do see a little bit in the film. yeah, that character who's. Uh, Who's um, uh, thinks he has a wife and all of that, and mm-hmm. uh, and, right. and it's just a, a guy who's been living in the same apartment for many years, and and when he shows his fellow worker a picture of his wife and kid, which the fellow worker doesn't notice because he's frustrated with him, it's just a picture of him and his and his dog, which is of course the basset
1: hound uh, appearance, <laughs> right? <laughs> the requisite well, basset hound appearance. One of I think four in the film. Yeah. I think, yeah, 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 yeah. But that that guy actually is one of the guys that's been hacked. I mean, we know that, but I'm I'm. I'm thinking about, you know, what if your your program betrays you without mm, yeah, any yeah. kind of outside hacking? Yeah, you know, f- for example, I mean, I guess the best real-world world example here is, you know, is Windows, right? I mean, you're a Windows user, I believe, right, mm-hmm, Ken? Mm-hmm. I'm also a Windows user. You know, every once in a while, Windows will do stupid things like black screen of death, blue screen of death, and you're like, what the heck's happening? And all, all people can tell you as far as the explanation goes is it's Windows, <laughs> right. I mean, what if your soul was like that, where yeah, it could yeah. be unpredictable, where it could betray you and give you a, you know, a soul blue screen of death suddenly? You know, I mean, that that's kind of scary. Right. I mean, yeah. that you, w- you wouldn't have any control over that. Like you don't have control over Windows in many ways, so yeah, that's kind of more what I was talking about. But yeah, the hacking is definitely part of it because, you know, of course, hacking we don't have any control over. Or even in the real world, you know, as you allude to, identity theft we have no control over that either. That's a scary thing that um, that we want to seek to control or stop, but you know, can we is really the question, I guess. Yeah,
0: and and with all of this, I think it's wise to just uh, for a brief bit because that's what i do during the film stop and wonder at the animation again it's an animated movie uh mm-hmm. it's set in hong kong which is uh, very well recreated and showcased but it goes it's not showcased in a very intense manner because the the mo when we see hong kong the most it's during a, a montage again set to that choral score and hong kong is very, moving very slow Uh, slow motion possibly in intent but it's all it's all a very slow tight you know a loud city at the same time and uh, i think it's a showcase very well and because it is slow we can also marvel at some of the detail background detail the stills uh still background detail and all of that so
1: one thing though do they ever really say it's hong kong in the film I can't Uh, remember.
0: Not, I don't think specifically, but it's also, but uh, there are telltale signs of it being Hong Kong. For for instance, I mean, maybe this is true for several cities, but uh, of course, signs is one thing. But you you have shots of um, uh, an airplane going over the city, and that's probably a reference to the Kai Tak. Airport that was yeah, uh, right. still open at the time of uh, Ghost, right. Ghost in the Shell being written. Mm-hmm. Uh, so uh, and and plot synopsis uh, does say it as well as I think uh, m- maybe it's established quite firmly in, in the manga and then uh, okay okay and, and, uh, and that, then that, would,
1: sh- that would make sense because you know one thought in my head uh, because you know I I sort of noticed that they didn't really say it's Hong Kong or Kowloon mm-hmm. or whatever you know mm-hmm. and one thought in my head is you know maybe this this could be you know, for its time, modern day Japan, you know, maybe sure. for example, China has taken over, you know, Japan. I, I don't, you know, it's one of those things
0: that, yeah. And, again, that's it, outside
1: the film, but
0: yeah, exactly. The, the story points. doesn't hinge on, on it. And there's never a title called saying Hong Kong to 2020 right. or blah, blah, blah. Okay.
1: One uh,
0: but, uh, I, I like those sequences a lot. And you can marvel at the background detail, which is all, um, uh, traditionally drawn, I believe. And all of that. So, um, and um, yeah, for, throughout uh, you you have to stay alert. I mean, we should stress that. I mean, it's not Ghost it in the Shell is not something that you put on uh, in a relaxing manner, just to watch a little popcorn flick or anything. It does. If you want to invest in it, then you have to stay a bit alert. And uh, mm-hmm. and if you do, you should be able to extract something rather than all abstract uh, abstract uh, passages and all of that. Um, again, I I I can't stop marvel at the fact that uh, that. The the score is so quiet, you know, that chase, that car chase, an effort to catch the Section 6 car after they break in and take away the Puppet master, or the, or the torso uh, cyborg that the Puppet Monster possesses, that chase, that car chase is, uh, again very very quiet and it's, it's similar to the stray dog soundtrack where it brings in a little bit of guitar a little bit of flamenco mm-hmm. flamenco yeah, vibe yeah. to it and uh, i mean I, i'm uh, you know i'm one step away from you know purchasing the soundtrack finally just to have because it's uh it's lovely ambience really lovely ambience rather than listening to mm-hmm. a movie score on your on your on your ipod or what have you
1: or for you can listen to god flesh 24 hours a day yeah,
0: yeah. <laughs> You know that guy does ambient as well in other projects. I'm, I'm a yeah. big I'm a big ambient fan, so don't worry. It's not all no, it's not all crunchy. Uh, so... All I
1: gotta say is every time I see your Facebook feed, oh God, flesh again. Hmm. Yeah. Must be Ken.
0: Keep an eye out for white static demon, and then tell me if uh, you think that's God flesh. That's just that's just evil ambient, yeah. if you will. So yeah, it's yeah, it's, all, it's all good. It's all good. I don't know. It's, it's, I don't know how much there is more to say. I mean, it's... Um, it's. Well, there it's, is, a,
1: actually, uh, if I can butt in, uh, because one of the themes that we sort of developed with O'Shi is that he had, you know, it's really kind of unclear. I've read slightly different accounts of what his exposure was to Christianity. You know, I heard he was raised a Christian. You know, he possibly at one time was going to join a seminary, but then something happened which he won't talk about that sort of prevented him from doing so or maybe repulsed him from doing so. I'm not really sure. But at the very least he did, we have established in this uh in this series that, you know, he has this sort of fascination with uh Christianity and at least trying to put it into his films. And we did, of course, angel's egg i did a long treatise on an interpretation of the film <laughs> that could be straight out of the bible and um i believe when we talked about pat labor we also made references to um to um some scenes which uh, allude to um you know jesus christ the, cru- yeah, the yeah. crucifixion etc
0: you know uh, out of all out of all movies are you know, the big robots in pat labor and
1: right, in Bi- yeah, the right. bible yeah exactly <laughs> And then live actions, I, I think that sort of subsided a little, or at least we didn't see anything. I'm sure there's probably something, but we didn't really mention anything that was really that really stood out to us. One thing that I mean really stands out in Ghosts in the Shell is that they uh, quote a passage from the Bible, uh, somewhat clumsily. Um, I don't want to say it's clumsy that they put that they um, they quoted the Bible, but more so it was in a sort of clumsy area of the story. Mm-hmm. And it sort of reminded me a little of the angel's egg, where there's also a biblical quote that's a little bit on the slightly awkward side, where it's like, okay, you don't really need to do that. But, you know, whatever. It's part of the theme of the story, so go ahead and do it. And which, um, anyway, uh, a passage from uh, Corinthians, um, the King James Version is quoted. uh, It's uh, chapter 13, verse 12. First, it appears in an earlier part of the film, which is, um, the quote is, uh, or the passage, excuse me, is, uh, for now we see through a glass darkly, but then face to face, now I know in part, but then shall I know even as also I am, which is actually a quote, I believe it was from the uh, Apostle Paul. Mm Uh, was talking about basically the um, well I guess you could say the the nature of Christians and how Christians should uh, display charity to each other um, mm-hmm. and that's not really that part of uh, the is not really part of the film but what's interesting about this quote is that it becomes completed later on um, in the first part uh, in this passage I just quoted, it becomes sort of like a ghostly voice. Yes. At first, and this or, or, happens or
0: almost out of nowhere, literally, like um, uh, surprising the characters that because they communicate not telepathically, but they have communications devices in, right. in you know in their heads so they can communicate without uh, without literally speaking or speaking into a um, or into a headset or anything. It's just
1: uh, right, like the, right. But they know that by communicating that way that regular humans can't hear them, right? Mm -hmm. I mean, it's a sort of way to subterfuge your communication.
0: Yeah, they just stand uh, still, literally, not even moving their lips. It's just, uh, therefore, we have many frames of Ghost in the Shell with uh, still animation, literally.
1: Right. So they they hear this voice, you know, through whatever either, and, you know, Bato even says, like, hey, that was you, right, that said that, and Mm -hmm. then... You know, Kusanagi is like, oh, she's like, whatever. You know, I, I don't even remember what her answer was, but I'm pretty sure she said something to the effect that it wasn't really me. No. you know, maybe they thought it was just some vestige of something, some other cyborg out there talking. You know, mm-hmm. but then we sort of realize, and spoiler, everyone. So if you really don't want to know the ending or any kind of interpretation of the ending, you want to keep it for yourself. You know, just skip ahead, maybe about a minute or so. Mm-hmm. We found out later that this quote is completed by, um, by Kusanagi, and the, the completion of the quote – actually, it's, it's not the – this passage is actually passage 11, which comes just before uh, the passage I just quoted. But passage 11 says, when I was a child, I spake as a child. I understood as a child. I thought as a child. But when I became a man, I put away childish things. Mm-hmm. So at first, you know, this first quote from the Bible is basically saying is is expressing her ambiguity as to what her identity is, as to you know whether she can break free of what she is now. Mm-hmm. Because for now, we see through a glass darkly means essentially, for biblical purposes, it means I am viewing myself much as I'm viewing myself through a dirty mirror. Mm-hmm you know so in other words i'm not seeing my true self i'm just seeing this reflection that's not even a clear reflection it's a dirty reflection Mm -hmm. but then face to face now i know in part but then i i shall know even as also i am known kind of makes this reference to i don't know what the truth of myself is right now but that truth may be revealed later Mm -hmm. and i will know my my true self you know not as a reflection but as you know, as if I'm looking at myself face to face. You know, I, I don't know if you caught this, but the voice, at least in the um, the Japanese version of the film, is the puppet masters.
0: Right. I, I remember when uh, she received her new body at that point because her oldest uh, shot up. It seemed like her voice was a bit different. I I didn't. I wasn't sure because it was that uh, literally a girl's body, a uh, 10, 12 year old uh, girl's body. Oh, I heard something, and you're, you're probably right that it's literally exchange, exchanged for the Puppet Master's voice. So well, probably... yeah, it,
1: and I assume that he's saying this because he already knows what the future is. Yeah, 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 You know, they will. And if you're tuning in right now and you thought that the spoilers were over, they're not over, So, <laughs> so, you know, skip ahead another minute or two. <laughs> so... You know in a way you could say that we you know with this passage he's enticing her but also sort of giving her a taste of what the future is yeah. and the future of what we learn as viewers is that you know they do eventually merge. and you know with the completion of the quote of the previous passage of uh, the Corinthians um, 13 11 when I was a child I speak as a child I understood as a child I thought as a child but when I became a man I had put away childish things. You know, that is what Motoko as the new being, Motoko and and the uh, puppet master as the new, in quotes, evolved creature mm. say. You know, at that point, that evolution is complete because she's basically saying that she has left her old self behind now. You know, her police officer or whatever it is, police detective. I don't know what her title is exactly. And that now she has become a man or, I guess in her case, evolved being, you know, Mm -hmm. which is kind of interesting because you think, well, she looks like a child because what happens is, you know, in the stories that Bateau, you know, when she is basically disassembled, I guess you could say, or torn apart, you know, in this battle with this tank, you know, Bateau has to find a new body or a new vessel for her to be in and what happens is he finds this child instead of you know an adult female you know and he says well unfortunately you know there weren't any other bodies on the black market except for this child's body and yeah. you know, and he says like yeah, probably one of the funnier parts of the movie is it's not really my taste. And I, was like, <laughs> I, I was was like, really? Okay, okay. Thanks for letting us know, pal. You know, like that kind of thing. I like them younger. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> ew, ew, ew. yeah no, that's ew. what i kind of think. I was thinking the same thing. I, I'm a little perverse myself. Okay? But, you know, it's kind of funny that she's speaking these words that now I'm this evolved being, you know, but visually she's a child, right? Yeah. She's a, She's in this little, like, girly dress, you know. But in a way, you know, you can say that as being well, she's been reborn, you know, in a physical sense. You know, she is a child, so she's she's reborn from this this merger of the two the two souls or or the two ghosts, you know. And and even in but even more importantly, so her program or her or her memories or her mental self is even further evolved because you know last lines in the uh, the film are you know the network is vast and endless you mm-hmm. know so she's become she's been able to access a greater level of consciousness consciousness than when she started the film you know so there's just sort of again there's the evolution of people and mankind and just things in general that kind of stems from, you know, again that idea of the ghost in the machine and the Bible and stuff like that. So again, we're we're getting this very kind of heavy biblical allusions by uh, Oshi um, that we have come to expect from him uh, uh, through this series of watching these films.
0: I, I think. Would both... you agree, Ken? <laughs> I mean, I, 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 p- partly, p- partly yes, and uh, and uh, and also, I can, yeah, it didn't really bother me as something that was on, too on the nose, but because I, I think, throughout the movie, it's, it, it, it doesn't hinge on that quote only, all all the themes and all the story right. beats and story strands. So, so I think it's it it's there, and I suppose I I I am a bit uh, more numb to it than maybe a new viewer to Oshi's work. Would be perhaps because uh, he there it is, <laughs> ding 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 ding. So, so I mean, I I I may treat it a bit funny at the same time. Well, but...
1: I I think it's I think one thing I gotta say about the quote, and I I know I compared it to the Angel's Egg quote, which I kind of felt was actually a little more awkward in its placement. I I agree. I agree. I think I think this one is a little more subtle, and mainly because he completes the circle by you know, completing the entire, the two passages together rather than just yeah. throwing out one passage, you know, and just saying like, oh, okay, well, that's from the Bible. Um, what does it mean? I don't know. You know, at the end, he is basically giving you at least a hint as to what he meant it to mean, mm-hmm. which, you know, at least for Western minds, Western minds who like to as movie viewers we like to know everything about a film you know we know we like we want to know everything about how it ends and we need to have full circle closure on you know every little small story thread of a film i think for a western viewer that fits in a lot better with um our thought about how the film how the film progresses and then eventually ends even though the the real sort of ending is a little open-ended but you know that's what um that's what 2.0 and 1.5 and all these other <laughs> versions of Ghost in the Shell are for to explain other things. So, I, you know. I
0: suppose so. Yeah. yeah. Um. Yeah. I, I just wanted to add some minor notes about the the, uh, the finale and uh, some some stylish uh, stuff there that I that I like. I mean, there, there, there's some distressing stuff here when she tries to she jumps onto the uh, cloaked and then tries to rip, uh, rip, rip um, a panel off, uh, and uh, she, she it's so tightly sealed that uh, she, she eventually just uh, almost disintegrates on the spot. You know, and, uh, she, she pulls her own arm off or almost her, her limbs go. You know, kablooey, cab- you know, uh, not in a splatter moment because she's obviously made of both organic and uh, machine material, but it's, uh, it's kind of distressing that then the Fuchikoma just picks her up as a rag doll and thrashes her about, you know, we, we see a human body kind of just limp, uh, someone we kind of care for as well. So I thought it was a l- n- nicely distressing moment that she's,
1: uh, you know, helpless, uh, all of a sudden. Yeah, it's interesting. It's, it's a little, actually, frankly, a little repulsive because, you know, yeah, you yeah. know that it's, you know, gore that's happening, even though it's a, you know it's a cyborg there's a similar moment in the first scene where there's that assassination where um, basically Motoko shoots the head off of that uh, i guess he was a sort of some sort of diplomat mm-hmm. and um you know it's basically his head explodes you know but you can actually and you know i I will credit Brian Rue for catching this again in his uh his book you can actually, if you freeze frame that shot, you can actually see there are some mechanical parts mixed in with that gore. So ah, really? he is also a
0: cyborg of some sort. I only so. noticed the skeleton bit while watching it in full motion, but uh, right. know, that's interesting. Yeah, it is
1: interesting because you you think like to what extent is this vast network of cyborgs, you know, um, controlling or at least existing in this world, right?
0: Mm-hmm. Speaking of static shots, again, there's a lot of static shots uh, when they're internally communicating via their communication devices in their heads, the teams, Uh, that's throughout the movie, but there's a particular static shot towards the end that's really effective because it's uh, from the point of view of Kusanaga as she's starting to communicate with the Puppet Master, and Mm -hmm. the Puppet Master essentially freezes her point of view, where you see Batou kind of move uh, or Mm -hmm. speak, and then he freezes. He pauses. The the puppet master literally cuts out mm-hmm. the world, and it's just the two of them. I thought that that was a really effective and kind of, uh, uh, yeah, haunting, I wouldn't say, but uh, you know, de- definitely effective to get an inside view, and 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 that entire shot obviously right. connects back to the diving as well because uh, she is looking up at the looking up at the ceiling that's been shot out, and uh, right. there's, heli- there's helicopters hovering. That uh, with their searchlights above, so it looks like she's submerged deep, right, and that exactly. surface and and, right, and that surface is exactly. a long way away at that point,
1: right? Because it's seen through this sort of, I guess you could say a, a I guess if if you imagine her being a cyborg through her visor or yes. her visual sense, and it's distorted, much like yeah, like she's submerged. Yeah, that, that's really good observation.
0: Yeah, I, I wonder. We will actually talk about this in the bonus episode. I don't know if you noticed this. Right at in the original version, uh, right before she is taken out and the puppet master, there is a shot of um, feathers and what appears to be an angel uh, descending towards her or a bird or something like that. Mm. Uh, that seems to be missing from the 2.0 version. Uh, it's just uh, that shot is more of a can't really see what's going on. So, so I wonder if oh, uh, she. Felt he had to take himself down a notch. Yeah. <laughs> you know what I mean.
1: Okay, this is too much.
0: <laughs> <laughs> Even for me, <laughs> heavy-handed. <laughs> so yeah, so yeah. I wonder. I, I think I think it's actually. Huh, it, it's interesting. It's an interesting shot that I'm, i was I'm not ever taken out of the movie when the feathers start falling. It's just one of those. Mo- it's a moment. The uh, mm-hmm. real or not. Uh, so, so I wonder if. Uh, yeah, it's interesting. Um. To, to, to put try and put yourself in the headspace of Oshi, which I think as a as a public figure, I'm not I don't think he's ever been very um, super outspoken about um, his movies in terms of okay I'm gonna explain it to you now okay uh, which I can appreciate so sometimes it's yeah. effective to keep uh, keep viewers in the dark and let them interpret for themselves I remember for instance David Lynch saying that uh, you know I've heard every kind of interpretation of a racerhead, and no one's gotten it right, or the interpretation that I right. made the movie uh, via. So, uh, but, yeah, but I, I think, think that can't be
1: affected. I think that you know, even with all the you know interpretation I gave and everything, you know, it's still. Yeah, I think it's nice to sort of go away from the script so to speak and, you know, kinda of go and think and wonder, you know. And that that's what the beauty of film is, is that, you know, it gives you a, a starting point and you know, whether you know, whether your interpretation of what the director is doing is exactly what he or she had intended you know, is one thing, but it's another thing to just at least have imagined or think or be changed or, you know, even have some sort of discussion point for someone later on, you know, like, hey, what did you think about this? You know, I thought this. Oh, you know, you don't think so. You know, what did you think? You know, like that kind of thing. I think that's, you know, in itself the value of film, you know, whether... You know, again, and I've expressed my biases before several times. You know, whether it's animated or not. You know, I mean, you know, that's the that's the benefit of all art. You know, really, it's you know, one is to show the creativity, but another thing is to have a, t- a talking point. Because even if, like, you know, like I've I've been to art galleries before, where you know, like my friends will say, like, this is stupid, blah blah blah. This is art, uh, uh, you know. Hmm. It's like, well, you're talking about it, you know, and maybe this is what the artist had intended, yeah. you know. Because a lot of art is meant to really be antagonistic or, you know, maybe to use a lighter term, provocative, you know, Mm. in having you question, is this really art? Is it art because someone else says it is or because because you feel it is, you know? And, you know, that's – I think that's really a valuable thing, and it's unfortunately something that's undervalued, especially here in the U.S. People are a lot more pragmatic and would rather be, you know – would rather have intentions be made up front rather than, you know, have them sort of hidden. I don't want to say hidden, but, um, you know, uh, I'll use the word hidden because I can't think of a better word, but, right. uh, you know, bathed in metaphor or, you know, something or bathed in something in which you got to figure it out yourself, you know, you know, it, it, it sometimes it really annoys me that, uh, that, that's all people seek; is they want to seek exactly what the answer is, and that's mm. all they want, and you know, not anything that can go beyond that. You know.
0: Uh, yeah, Sorry, yeah. that was
1: a little rant. <laughs> yeah, but I, I,
0: I fully agree. And uh, and when uh, when movies like this uh, present themselves, I mean, it was true back <laughs> then; it's still true today that it uh, it, it does present that welcome challenge of interpretation in the, uh, of, of various not not various degree of right or wrong but uh, is it, it definitely there's not one answer here and, uh, and, and and different perspectives are very welcome and interesting to have um, and, and and i'm sure people I hate this movie for the fact that it's a talkie 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 why bring in the bible and why bring in philosophy it's robots she, they're gonna they're gonna shoot man she's naked why she's not naked for, throughout the movie <laughs> you know i'm sure there was viewers like that as well and that that's yeah. as valid i suppose uh i i have reached the end of my notes uh, anything else you want to um, mention from the uh, beginning and middle or, or end of the film john
1: no, I think uh, I've pretty much gone through everything that uh, I would want to talk about. So that's 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 uh that's a fine. Uh, I think I'm I'm good with everything. Is what, what I'm saying.
0: <laughs> right on. Uh, I'll shut av- up. <laughs> <laughs> uh, talking availability briefly. Uh, getting Ghost in the Shell is not a problem in general. I mean, the original version is included as an extra on several of the Blu-ray releases and DVD releases all over the world for Ghost in the Shell 2.0. Uh, so finding a copy for a reasonable price uh, shouldn't be too hard, and I'm sure it's available streaming on the various services. Uh, I, know, I know Netflix carries uh, the dubbed version, uh, at least the uh, Netflix in the UK, I believe. So, uh, but but uh, the the thing is, we don't need to detail every every release because it's not uh, at all hard to find it, and you might might even be able to find uh, the older DVD that I have, the Manga Entertainment DVD. Uh, that's still a pretty good DVD to be to be honest. It's a uh, one those... Uh, End of the Millennium releases, but still uh, still holds up, and it has the original version uh, only on, on that one, and uh, and uh, a making off that they uh, put together at the time. Uh, a little fluff piece rather than Oshi sitting down and explaining everything what's going on in the movie. Uh, but, but Japanese fluff pieces, if you will, uh, those making off, those, co- those uh, promotional making offs, are pretty much more interesting than. Than any other any other promotional pieces because they, they do delve into the creative process a little bit more and um, and the, yeah. it's it's uh, yeah I, I do like him. Um, okay, next episode and I I predict we'll do maybe two more maximum on Oshi. I'm not fully decided yet as we're we're approaching the uh, the part of his career where there's not many movies left to cover and um, uh, and I'm not fully familiar with this this uh, tail end of his career uh up to this point so what i do want to bring in into one of those maximum uh, two more episodes uh maximum is uh it's the live action movie avalon that uh, he made um maybe seven eight years uh, after ghost in the shell i'm not too sure about the production date but it's his uh, it's his uh polish language uh, um Live-action movie that's partially set within this uh, this matrix, if you will, this computer game. But it's uh, from what I remember, uh, I did like it, but I can't recap it. But from what I remember, felt very O.C. and that felt appealing as well. Uh, who knows how it will, how, how it will play uh, today? But. Uh... Uh, we'll see, but uh, I'm I'm just gonna have to screen uh, maybe uh Sky Crawlers and Assault Girls, for instance. I think those are two of the remainder of the movies outside of Avalon. Maybe some more, and see uh, how we're gonna conclude this uh, series. So um, the, we'll we'll see, but Avalon definitely. Yes. I mean, for Japan on Fire, if we're talking of a show in general, I do want to cover more directors and artists that appeal to me that I like already that uh, perhaps is uh, that I've seen just a little of, but I feel like I want to explore more. So, I mean, I I mentioned to you um, when we were talking behind the scenes that uh, I've seen, like, two movies from the director Sabu, is it, or Sabu.
1: Sabu, yeah. Um, I've also seen known as uh, Hiroyuki Tanaka, I think is his name.
0: Yeah. Right. I, I always had the theory that uh, Sabu was um, a shortened uh, a shortened version of his first and last name. Like, uh, he was called Sa-something, and then his last name was Bu-something. Uh, uh, I
1: think it's probably just a childhood
0: nickname is my guess. <laughs> right on. Uh, but I remember seeing his movie Monday and the Blessing Bell. Um, just just enjoyed him in general and i thought like hey why, why not um bring it up again and uh, and um and try to see if i can uh, if i will reconfirm my uh, like of those uh, two movies in particular
1: yeah that'd be interesting because he's a director that i think is pretty good he's I, don't, I wouldn't call him a great but he's a pretty good director and i think that a lot of uh people who like japanese film you know we're talking about him back in like the uh, mid 90s but uh talk excuse me late 90s and but i think talk about him has sort of like subsided um mm-hmm. and i think it's maybe because he for, hasn't work, from worked as kind of much no no he just said i think he just hasn't worked maybe as much uh lately uh, for whatever reason you know but mm-hmm. uh, he has a new film coming out um i believe uh, sometime this year 2013 or maybe early 2014 i can't remember so it might be interesting to um you know to uh, look at his career sort of in that uh in that light
0: i don't know if monday or the blessing bell are like reference works or anything but those are the movies i received from a friend who said like i think you're gonna like these uh, these movies and uh, sure enough i remember quite digging them uh been such a long time that uh, i my memory is only fragmented at, at this point so mm-hmm. it'll be good to revisit um that, that, that's an example i probably want to go down more anime routes like uh uh, look, look at maybe some works of uh, the artist Gonagai or Nagi, uh, best known for Devilman and Masina Z or however it's uh, named. to call so, um, so so we'll see. And I'm hoping to have you on with me, John, for uh, for for these and uh, or or a variety of these uh, episodes. Because one, I I appreciate your knowledge and your enthusiasm to explore as well, or let me explore, uh, but also enjoy these chats in general. So. Uh, so.
1: Yeah, and I'm sure you appreciate the fact that I have a Bible so I can actually look, look <laughs> up stuff. Look it up, John. What does it all mean? Not that there aren't a million interpretations of the Bible
0: online, but <laughs> Well well uh, we, we should maybe suggest to O'Shi by just randomly pick a passage in the Bible, send it over to Oshi on uh, Twitter if it's on Twitter, and they're like here's an idea for you and just quote and then he then he'll be off and running. <laughs> you know. <laughs> Or maybe he he, he he would have thought of that quote ages ago anyway. Nope, thought of that. Couldn't make <laughs> it into a movie. Sorry about that. Uh, but anyway, we are down for Ghost in the Shell. Again, remember, at the same time as this episode goes up on iTunes and Stitcher and what have you, there will be a website-only exclusive bonus episode with me and John talking of Ghost in the Shell 2.0 for a bit. Uh, so uh, I've been very nice and uh, not too ranty and not too angry. That might change when that bonus episode hits we haven't recorded it yet so uh we'll never know we'll never know i might be on, on fire literally and uh, childish and ranty and uh, coffin john will just say hey now let the adult talk now it's, it's okay, okay. I, have
1: a, I have a bible just in case
0: <laughs> <laughs> Phew, I'm, I'm soothed it's soothing now john thank you <laughs> it's a uh, soothing atmosphere now again after being angry about 2.0.
1: Well, I was thinking I'd have to exercise you. That's it. Oh, that, that's true. That's
0: true. Uh, anyway, we are doing that, but um, let's uh, sign off for now with some brief contact information. PodcastOnFire.com is where you'll find Japan on Fire and bonus episodes done for various shows. PodcastOnFire at googlmail.com for email feedback. You can also f- uh, send feedback on Facebook. Click and like our page, facebook.com forward slash PUF network. Join the discussion group. You can reach that by clicking the link in the uh, info box on the page I just said. Or type in Podcast on Fire Network in the Facebook search box. And that will get you the group. Twitter.com forward slash Podcast on Fire. Follow us on Twitter. Follow my writing of the various Taiwanese category 3 movies. And just exploitation at SoGoodReviews.com. And I video review uh some uh, main reviews at sleazykvideo.com my main reviews rather than my smaller quick quick takes bite-sized reviews uh, that's how i pick video reviews to do subscribe to japanify on itunes and if you like the show please leave a little star rating just a click click away whether you like the show or not and if you have a minute or two uh, left over and feel you want to share please leave a little user comment user review it'll be very much appreciated and helpful and you can also stream us on Stitcher if you don't prefer downloading podcasts to your device. Get the application for your iPhone, iPad, Android, or Blackberry. And once you're in Stitcher, type in Podcast on Fire and all the shows should pop up and you can add them individually, including Japan on Fire. And over to you and your, your plug, your big plug.
1: Well, I just want to point everyone to one place, and that's show.com The show is S-H-O-W. Um, just go there. Everything is there, uh, including all the links to all the different uh, social venues we're on. Um, and as well, a whole bunch of really good uh, film reviews, uh, commentary, and really excellently written uh, fe- feature articles. Um, and I say that about the people who write for the site. I have not written on the site myself for a long time to tell you the truth but as an editor i read all this stuff and um you know it's really top-notch stuff and i really really sad that it we don't have a larger audience just for the fact that uh, i have such good writers on the site so com, check it out thank you
0: keep keep at it and uh you're absolutely right you're doing a terrific job over there all of you are and, and even in some of uh, my chums over on this network, uh, or at least uh, Tom KW writes occasionally. It's all uh, it's all That's good um, and uh, great material. So, uh, but we are signing off for Japan on Fire. What is it? Sixteen? Uh, yes, indeed. it was so? Uh, this has been Kennedy and with me was, as always, uh, exploring Oshi and Bible quotes uh, to the max. <laughs> like you read about uh, coffin John